John 7, chapter, chapter 7, verse 37. Thank you, James, for reading it. I'm just going to read it again slowly. And um, it intrigued me a little bit. Uh, I gave James my text, and these first two songs were about being an anchor, an anchor. And we're going to talk about the, the river of living water. So I was juxtaposing the images there a little bit, but they, they both work. It's good. Uh, John 7, verse 37, On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. The Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So we're going to look at this a little bit today, and we're going to just think about the notion of thirsting. What does it mean to come to the Lord Jesus Christ? What does it mean to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? What does it mean to receive the Holy Spirit? And then we're going to think about the, the promise that is here, that those who have the Spirit of God will be like rivers of living water flowing out of their being. And then we'll think a little bit about, well, what if I'm a Christian, but I'm not experiencing this? So a lot to look at, but the Lord will help us. I guess the question that came to my mind as I read this, and, and you might be thinking this today, is this promise good for us today? Jesus said, if, if anyone thirsts, come to me. Let him come to me and drink. Is this good for us today? And of course, the obvious answer is, of course it is. It's good for us today, and this is our duty as a church, churches, Christians around the world are announcing this message that Christ gave, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, and, uh, and the Lord Jesus will fill our thirst. You remember when he talked to the, the woman at the well, the Samaritan lady, he said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up unto eternal life, everlasting life. So the question is, and we're going to think a little bit about this notion of thirsting. What does it mean to thirst when Jesus is speaking? Figuratively, of course, that's what we're going to look at today. What does it mean to thirst? In my mind, somewhere in my history, I learned something about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I don't know if that's still in uh, vogue, but it made some sense to me. The gentleman said, first we have a, a need for, there's a literal need for water and food, and then safety and security. And then we, we build on that. And fortunate, in Canada, we have all these things. And then there comes other things like like purpose in life, and a lot of people are, are seeking purpose in life. Um, I'm going to make reference today several times, as many of you know, a number of us from the chapel go out on Saturday afternoons and we talk to people, we get their opinion on religious things, and that often leads to discussions about the gospel, and we've been blessed, and so I'm going to give you some anonymous replies, but these are real people in our neighborhood. And just a couple of weeks ago, one of the questions on the survey is, what is your purpose in life? And this young, this young couple, uh, 
very sincerely, they looked at each other, and maybe in their mid-20s, and they said, you know, our purpose in life is trying to find a purpose in life. And, you know, a lot of people, they don't have a purpose in life. They don't know why they're here. They don't know why they're living. And so as we search for a purpose in life, sometimes we can be thirsting for a purpose in life, right? Um, there was a great French philosopher, mathematician, and theologian in the 17th century. His name was Blaise Pascal. And he said there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. So we all have a vacuum in our heart. And if we try to fill that vacuum with something other than God, we're going to, we're going to be missing something. We're, we're not going to make it. And when people make a God of something other than God himself, they soon... Uh, become very thirsty because that that thing cannot replace God. The other day I was at the Mental Recreation Center, which I recommend to everybody, try to keep my, my temple in shape as it were, and I went out through the controlled area and the gate didn't open. I kind of backed up and went to go out the other way, and the lady at the desk said, no, no, you're in the right lane, but you're off-center. You have to come at the little eye. And I jokingly said to her, well, the story of my life. And, you know, when we're off-center, the gates don't open. And when we're not focused on God, uh, our life just doesn't work. God has given us a beautiful life, beautiful things, and lots of stuff, and people, and relationships. But if God is not the center, we're going to be, things aren't going to work. doesn't mean we're going to have an easy life, but we'll have the hand of God with us. In our survey, we asked people, and we've done about 400 of these now, we asked people if they're sure they're going to heaven. And if they're sure they're going to heaven, uh, why are they sure? Or if they're not sure, why not? And I think we can safely say, and my, my colleagues will confirm this with you, that most people have the notion that if you do more good than bad, then the good Lord will let you in. It sort of depends on your good works. But that, of course, uh, is just an endless treadmill. We can't earn our way to, to heaven. We can't get our sin off of us. The Apostle Paul, you remember even the great Apostle Paul, he lined himself up against the the Ten Commandments, and he said, you know, I thought I was pretty good until I got to the last commandment. The last commandment was, you must not covet, desiring something that your neighbor has or that you don't have. And he said he realized he was a sinner. You remember the, uh, the rich young ruler? He came up to Jesus, said he wanted to know how to have eternal life. Jesus said, keep the commandments. He said, oh, I've kept the commandments. And Jesus said, okay, well, go sell all your goods and follow me. And he said, oh, I'm not doing that. And so he found out that he wasn't uh, sinless. Well, this gentleman didn't. The fact is, is that God is holy, as we were thinking of this morning, and we're sinners. But the good news is, is that salvation is a free gift. The Lord Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross for our sins that we could have eternal life. We don't have to be on the treadmill of good works. It's, it's, it's a good thing to try and do good works, but we can never earn our way to heaven. 
And so this void that I'm talking about and this God coming into our life, it comes, he comes into our life because Christ died for our sins and he opened, he's opened up the way that we can have God in our life because otherwise we're sinful people. But because of what Christ did for us on the cross, we can have eternal life through Jesus Christ and Christ will come into our life through the Holy Spirit. In, um, in Romans chapter two, it's one of my favorite passages. We read that the work of the law is written on the heart of every man and his, and his, and his conscience bears witness. His conscience bears witness. Sometimes accusing him, sometimes letting him off. And this is everybody. This is atheists, agnostics, Muslims, Buddhists, Hinduists. Guess what? Every human being is not just a piece of matter. Every human being has a conscience. Every human being, by definition, has a guilty conscience. And Christ came to give us the forgiveness of sins. The only way we can have a clean conscience and a pure conscience is through Jesus Christ. And that's the good news that we have today to announce to everybody that Christ has died for our sins and he offers us forgiveness for every bad thing that we've done. And if we come to him and ask to him for forgiveness, he will forgive us and we start again as, as a child of God. So that's great news. It's not exactly in our text, but it it's, uh, explains part of it. So how do I come to Christ? How can I come to Christ? Where, you know, where, where I was thinking about this text, when Jesus was here, uh, people could go up to him, and when he said to them, come to me, people said, okay, I'm going to come to you. How do we come to Christ? Where is Christ? Well, we know where Christ is. The Apostle Paul, when he was preaching in Athens, he said this. He said, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of our own poets have said. We, all, we are also his offspring. So here, Christ is not far from every one of us. Uh, the Lord Jesus is at the right hand of the Father on high, right? The Lord Jesus came, he lived on this earth, lived a sinless life, he died on the cross, he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and now he's at the right hand of the Father on high. Mark chapter 16, verse 19. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. So this is where the Lord is right now. He's at the right hand of God. One of my favorite passages in Scripture is where Stephen, remember in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, the apostle, uh, he's being uh, stoned to death because of his testimony. And uh, we read this in Acts chapter 7, verse 55. It says that he looked up into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And maybe I'm reading this into the text, but uh, did the Lord Jesus stand up? He was, says he's seated, right? Did he stand up to greet Stephen? 
seem to happen? Kind of think you do? Uh, the Lord is no man's debtor. I mean, Stephen could have said, Lord, I'm, I'm following you. How come you allow these people to throw stones at me and kill me? But that's not what he was saying. <laughs> he looked up and he saw Christ. Christ stood up and welcomed him into heaven. What a glorious image that is in truth. So the Lord Jesus is here today. He's not far from each and every one of us. And he's listening to what I say about him. <laughs> and he's also, if somebody wants to come to him, he's there if you want to come to him and pray to him and come to him, you can in your heart by faith. In the Psalms, quite a bit, we see, we get this phrase, God is looking down from heaven. Several years ago, I attended a funeral in a large Catholic church in Gatineau, one of my friends. And, you know, I'm not commenting on the sincerity of everything that went on, but at one point, one of her adult children got up and spoke and prayed to her deceased mother, that the mother would help the kids and this, that, and the other thing. And it was precious, but the fact of the matter is, that there's only one mediator between God and man, the Lord, the man, Christ Jesus. Our relatives who have gone on to be with the Lord, they're not able to see us. They're not God. And they're not able to help us. They're not able to answer our prayers. Only God is omniscient. Jesus Christ can and does see all of us and wants to help us because he's God. So when we're referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, we're not referring to just an idea or a religion or a way of life. We're referring to a person who lived on this earth and was God incarnate and who died, rose again from the dead, and went to heaven and is now there, not far from each and every one of us. And we can come to him by faith and we can have a relationship with him. So what does it mean to believe in him? It's very important here. Because in our verse we read, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture is said out of his heart, will flow rivers of living water. What does it mean to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? I think first of all, we have to believe the facts about the Lord Jesus. We have to believe the, the propositional truth about what he said. Because if you go into the context in the Gospel of John, he was speaking quite a bit to the Pharisees. And we will see that the Pharisees, they said, you're not who you say you are. What are you, what are you talking about? And he said to them, look, if you don't believe in me, you're not going to have eternal life. So when we believe in Christ, it's important that we understand who he is. It's important that we understand about his life, his death, his resurrection, and then we commit ourselves to him when we understand who he is. I think I've mentioned this before, but um, I did a, we did a, I did a survey, and this person who answered, uh, the first question we ask is, do you believe in God? The person says, no. Uh, who's Jesus Christ? No, we can't really know. We can't really depend on his texts and stuff. Do you attend a local Christian church? No. Do you consider yourself to be a Christian? Yes. Do you attend a local Christian church? Yes. So when we do these surveys, we kind of keep a bit of a poker face because we're asking their opinion, right? So then the person figured out 
that what they were saying was, you know, didn't really add up in some ways. And then the person went on to say, well, I, be I believe in community. I believe in Christian values. I believe in serving others and being kind and being forgiving. And so when the survey was over, uh, that person seemed to be one to talk. So we talked a little bit and we, we did think about the fact that when you separate the values from the foundation of the facts of the faith, uh, the person even a question, there can be problems there. You know, people like the notion of being kind and serving and that sort of thing. But if we're not going to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, um, our values don't have an anchor. Our values can become anything. And I suggest to you we see that, you know, so-called Canadian values. The Canadian values we talk about in government, do they line up with the scripture? I'll leave that to you to figure out. So when we, when we get away from the basis of the faith, uh, we have problems. We have to believe. We can't just turn Jesus Christ into what we want, right? He came. There's historical fact. And we want to follow him. In the first century, I have this text up on the, on the screen. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, we read this, That which was from the beginning we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, we've looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. This is the Apostle John. The life was manifested, we've seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life was with the Father and was manifested to us, and we've seen and heard and we declare to you that we also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These, these things we write to you that your joy may be full. What was he saying? There was a problem in that day in that people were trying to make Jesus Christ into whatever they felt like. A good philosophy. They were turning him into any old thing, even in the first century. And John says, no, 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 no. We saw him. We touched him. We heard him. And this is what he said. You can't change it. And so it is that... <clears throat> The Lord Jesus Christ is very specific to the scriptures, and we need to know them. Because you say, well, does it really matter? Well, of course it matters. Um, I've been sharing the gospel with a friend of mine, and he uh, related to me that he's meeting with the Jehovah's Witnesses. I said, oh, man, what are you doing that for? Well, he says, oh, it's all the same. You know, they believe in Jesus, and... Oh, no, just a minute here. And, you know, I'm not commenting on people's sincerity, their, their, you know, their, their, their character or anything like that, but the Jehovah's Witnesses, they don't believe that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God. They believe he's the Archangel Michael, the created being. They don't worship Jesus Christ. You can ask them. Ask them, do you worship the Lord Jesus? No, they don't. So it's not exactly the same, right? And the words might sound the same. Well, they believe Jesus is our Savior. And so, no, not really. How can a created being be our Savior? Right? A couple of weeks ago, I was kind of surprised. I was doing a survey, and I asked this person, <clears throat> do you believe that e if evil exists in the world? The person got back and said, oh, yeah. And I said, what, what do you think was the solution? This person was a Muslim. And this person said this. Then it shocked me when I heard it. The person said, well, the solution will be when Jesus comes back as the Messiah. I said, well, that sounds pretty good. 
And, uh, but I, I learned later, I didn't have the liberty to talk further with that person, but I learned later that there, the, the Islamic notion of Jesus coming back as the Messiah is different than ours. They have him coming back to set up the Muslim kingdom on this earth, which is not what we do, right? So, you know, what we, there's no copyright on the word Jesus. And people have taken the name of the Lord and turned it into all sorts of things. So when we, we have to be close and know what we believe, right? So even in Jesus' day, this text here in John chapter 5, verses 18 to 23, I invite you to, to look at it. We're all good? Yes. Everybody in agreement? Stay seated. Okay. John chapter 5, verses 18 to 23. See, Jesus had this discussion going on with the Jews. They said, hey, therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. They understood. They said, hey, hey, just a minute here. You can't say these things. That's not right. And Jesus answered, he said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of himself. But what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Now, how could the Son do in like manner everything the Father does if the Son wasn't God himself, right? We're talking about the infinite, almighty, holy God. A, a creative being can't say, I can do everything you can do, right? For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. You know, when we go to heaven, we're going to be illuminated. We're going to see a lot of things, but we're not going to see everything that God has done. We don't have the capacity, and we never will. We're never going to be God. But Jesus Christ is God, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. The Son gives life. And he has committed, uh, for the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. How can Jesus Christ judge every human being if he's not God? How can, how can Jesus Christ know the thoughts of every human being in the heart and the intent if he's not God, right? And he can't, be, he can't be God if he's a created being. He's the creator. That all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So, brothers and sisters, friends, we're not talking about just some historical figure here, some prophet of many. No, we're talking about the eternal Son of God. He was a real person then, and he's a real person now. And we cannot manipulate the Lord Jesus to do our will. We can't, we can't say, okay, God, you're going to just help me out now to do what I want to do. No, 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 no. When we come to the Lord Jesus Christ and we understand a little bit about who he is, uh, we will want to do his will. That's the implication here. We don't come to him and say, okay, now you follow me. No, no, it's me follow you. Right? So coming to Christ implies that we want to do his will. And we're going to let him direct our life because he's in charge because he's God. Okay? So, let's go back to our verse a little bit. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, and I don't think I have to elaborate too much further, you know, people are thirsting. People are searching. People want to know what life is about. And our real thirst comes from the fact that we're separated from God and, and the Lord Jesus Christ has the solution for that. 
and died so that we could be uh, <clears throat> reconciled to God. Let him come to me and drink. This is the Lord Jesus Christ offering this invitation to everyone. Everyone. And then he says, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet crucified, glorified, rather. So, this is another question. A lot of people believe, and, uh, <clears throat> but they haven't been born again. They haven't received the Spirit of God. When, when, when uh, Paul went to Ephesus in Acts 19, he, he asked this question. Did you receive the Spirit of God when you believed? He said, we didn't even know there was a Spirit of God. And he explains to them about the Spirit of God. And I think um, most of you would know John 3, you must be born again. You need to be born again of the Spirit of God. And there are a lot of texts on that, and we won't take too much time to go into it, but... Uh, we will look at one text in Romans 8, verses 9 to 12. And then again in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. So in Romans 8, 9 to 17, if you have your Bibles, when we come to Christ, when we give ourselves to him, in Acts 5, 32, it says he gave the Holy Spirit to those who were obedient. When we come to him sincerely and we believe in God and we believe in Christ, and we come to him, he gives us his Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, verses 9 to 12, we read this. You're not in the flesh, you're in the Spirit. Indeed, the Spirit of God dwells in you. These are the Christians. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, your debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you live, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness to our spirit. We are children of God, and children and heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. The Spirit of God witnesses to our spirit and confirms with us that we are his children. So the Spirit of God is in us. And, uh, you know, there are people who have, think of themselves as Christians sort of socially or philosophically more religiously, but they haven't received Christ. They haven't received the Holy Spirit. They're not born again. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, if you're not born again, you won't see and you won't enter into the kingdom of God. This is a longer topic than we can touch on today, but in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, we write this. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. I met a young man just a couple of weeks ago, and, and he did the survey, and he seemed to really know the Lord, and we got down to this question, are you sure you're going to heaven? He said, oh, nobody can be sure. 
kind of surprised me because up to then it seemed like you really knew the Lord. Nobody can be sure. And I said, well, if you permit, I'd just like to share this passage with you. I'd like you to think about it. These things I've written to you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And John is referring to the whole epistle here. And there's a bit of an argument there. And the argument is quite logical. He says, look, if Christ is in you, then there'll be a change in your life morally. Christ is in you, you'll have correct ideas about the Lord Jesus Christ. And if Christ is in you, you will have a love for the brethren, love for his people. So I leave that with you. But he wants us to know we have eternal life. We can know. I remember one time um, witnessing to a fellow. And this is the problem when you get older, you have lots of memories. And uh, this one stood out of my mind. I was explaining the gospel to him. This is many years ago. And I explained to I was explaining this bit about to him that the Holy Spirit comes into our life. And he looked at me and he kind of chuckled and he said, um, you know what? He said, you have the Holy Spirit? And I said, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I know so. He says, well, there's, there's no halo over your head. I'm just saying. I appreciated his frankness. So, you know, the Holy Spirit does come into our life and, and does produce changes, but they're not always spectacular changes. It doesn't turn us into some sort of strange person. You may have heard the story of the three-year-old who asked her mother if Jesus was in her heart. Her mom said, yes. The girl said, what's he saying? The mom replied, come and listen. So the little girl put her ear to her mother's chest. And the mom asked the little girl, what's he saying? And the girl replied, he's percolating. So we talk about Jesus in our life, but in fact, the Holy Spirit does into our life. Now, we get back to our text. And this is the favorite part of my text. If any of you have got an, e an email from me in the past month or two, you'll see that this text is in my signature block. Underneath, it will be a signature block. So, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So, as an image for those of us who are Christians who have received Christ, what does this image speak to us about? I think, first of all, it speaks to me, and it's an encouragement to me every day, an endless supply of power to do God's will. An endless supply of power to do God's will. And I'm sure that most of you are familiar with the hydroelectric power, water making turbines turn, well, the Holy Spirit gives us power. There's a promise there for us to say no to temptation, to say yes to the right thing day in and day out. One thing that's always intrigued me is that the Lord Jesus Christ, he led a life free from sin, sinless, without sin, all his life, and uh, even before his public ministry. But you know what? From what I can gather, it didn't really impress anybody. Not much was said about Jesus Christ from the ages of 1 to 30, except when he was 12, right? But he, and what's the implication for that? I think the implication for that is if we lead a sinless life or a holy life, guess what? It's not going to impress anybody. We're not going to get a certificate or a medal, maybe from our mother, but, you know, it's, it's nothing spectacular doing the right thing. But the Holy Spirit gives us the power to do the right thing, and we know what that is. The Holy Spirit gives us this 
constant power, endless abundance to every day continue on doing, which is probably difficult for us. Here's an illustration. I think I'm sure I've shared it in the past because I really like it. Most of you have been in a big airplane. And other than the takeoff, when you feel your, your back against the seat, you know, it's kind of uh, underwhelming, right? You're just sitting there and not much is happening. It's not that extraordinary. It's just like sitting in your living room, right? But when you're on the ground and you see a big plane, and, and I think every time I see a plane, how does that big thing stay up in the air? I mean, my goodness. There's an awful lot of energy keeping that plane going, right? And a lot about our Christian life is not that spectacular, but it needs a lot of power, you know? And the Holy Spirit gives us that power to do the right thing, to follow his will. He's not going to give us power to do something that isn't his will. And there's abundant joy. There's a joy that God gives that is, that is unique. And, um, you know, we have the example in, in the Gospels of the 70 when they went out and came back rejoicing because the demons were even submitted to them. And the Lord says, well, better you rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. And, but they had experienced the power of God. They had seen God working. And when we get involved in the Lord's work one way or another, and we see God intervening, we see God working, it's humbling and it's exciting. God gives us his joy. It's like a never-ending flowing river. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16, we read this. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. So as we get older, Christians get sick, Christians die, Christians suffer. But we have this promise that our inward man will be renewed day by day by the Spirit of God. By the Spirit of God. There's an abundance, a fullness, a blessing. doesn't mean that we go around in some sort of state of euphoria all the time, some sort of mindless bliss or exaltation. What happened? God is with us. We're essentially happy in our soul, content, thankful, thanksgiving, full of praise. So, you know, some folk have mentioned to me, you know, as we, as we think about this and say I'm a Christian, I'm saying, well, I don't really, uh, I'm not experiencing this. I'm not experiencing this abundance, this joy, this energy, whatever, in my soul. What, why is that? Well, these are themes we can study, what it means to walk in the spirit. And there's a little Bible study on Saturday mornings from 9 to 10.30, a conversational Bible study that we call WITS, Walking in the Spirit. If you want to join, you're welcome to join us. We're thinking about these things, looking up the references to what it means to walk in the Spirit. That's just a little sidebar there. But in Galatians 5, verse 16, we read, Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. In Ephesians 4.30, we read, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed the day of redemption. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. Whenever I say, well, I don't think I'm going to do that. I'm just going to do this. You grieve the Holy Spirit. And uh, we can quench the Holy Spirit. Maybe God is leading us to do something, and, and it's really his leading. And then we just say, well, I don't think so. Not this time. We'll just leave it there. And quenching the Holy Spirit. Quenching the Holy Spirit. And in Ephesians 5.18, we have this exhortation to 
be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, if the apostle has to remind us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the implication is we're not always filled, right? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells us. He'll never leave us. We're not always filled. So yes, there's a whole uh, notion of when we come to the Lord, He gives us His Holy Spirit, we walk with Him, we can grieve the Spirit. We still have our will. We're not robots. We can. That's the real cost of succumbing to temptation is God pulls back. He's in us, but He's kind of in a corner. He's grieved. Uh, I've been meditating upon uh, Psalm 16 this week a little bit. The Lord ever-present before me, I keep. The Lord is ever-present with me. He stands at my right hand, I shall not be moved. The Lord is with us, brothers and sisters. And um, he's gracious, he loves us. So <clears throat> these are all little areas of reflection we can pursue at another time. But this great promise is here. To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If anyone thirsts, come and drink. You're here today, and what I'm saying to you is relatively new. Um, all I can say is, is that uh, many of us here, many years ago, came to Christ for the first time. And this promise is borne out in our life. It's proven itself true. And uh, the Lord is here. We want you to come to him by faith. Say, Lord, I want to come to you and I'll follow you. You have to have a notion of who he is. You don't have to understand everything, but we want to come to him, recognize him as God, thank him for his sacrifice for our sins that allow us to come to him, come to Christ for a first time and he'll give you the Holy Spirit. And then from there, the Holy Spirit will help you to follow God. And for those of us who know these truths and have been practicing them and living them for a long time, be encouraged. This little phrase here, uh, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I've literally been thinking about that almost every day when I get up, but I don't feel like getting up necessarily. Well, the Lord's there to help you. Keep helping you. Keep helping. It's an endless supply of help to do the right thing. Our blessed God and Heavenly Father, we're thankful. I, I'm so thankful. I'm thankful that you didn't leave us orphans. You didn't leave us uh, powerless. You didn't leave us without your provision. And you have provided for us. You died for us on the cross. And then you, get, you have given us of your spirit who is with us to help us to do your will. And I thank you for the abundance. I thank you for the endless supply to do what might seem ordinary to many people, but the right thing, the good thing, by your grace. Help us, Father, and we thank you and we praise you for your provision. Bless your word to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.